0: This episode of Breaking Brave is brought to you by Soul Snacks. Soul Snacks are single ingredient, eco conscious dog and cat treats sourced directly from farms in Ontario and wrapped in fully compostable packaging. Treating your pets never felt so good. Use coupon code Breaking Brave for 15% off on soulsnacks.ca. That's soulsnacks.ca. This episode is also brought to you by Crank Coffee, the newest member of the Neal Brothers family. Crank Coffee is a new Canadian whole bean coffee brand that is certified organic and fair trade, founded by the Neal Brothers, Peter and Chris. This brand was influenced by cycling, coffee lovers, and experts. Check it out at the Neal Brothers online shop and use our coupon code BRAVE for 20% off your first Crank Coffee purchase. Enjoy. Welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm Marilyn Barefoot. Today I'm chatting with Samantha M. Bailey. Samantha has just released her new thriller novel, Watch Out For Her, which is actually inspired by the anxiety and fear of motherhood. I totally get it. She's also the author of Woman on the Edge, which was released in 2019. Her books have been described as Fifty Shades of Messed Up. Yes, she can go to the dark side like nobody else. Please welcome the very brave Samantha M. Bailey. I am so thrilled to meet, to welcome, and have the honour of chatting with Samantha M. Bailey. Samantha Bailey released her second novel, Watch Out For Her, yesterday. And I couldn't put it down. And it is incredible. Welcome to Breaking Brave, Samantha. Thank
1: you, Marilyn, so much for having me and for those kind words. Thank you.
0: I'd like to say I'm kind of a picky reader. If I really don't like it, I feel like I still have to finish it. It's like I have to, but it doesn't mean I got to love it. Yours Amazing. I'll just hit it off the top for people who may not be aware of your brilliant writing or this book, Watch Out for Her, which was released yesterday. Can you just give us the Samantha M. Bailey version of what's going on in this book? Let's let's hear that first. I'd be happy to.
1: Uh, so what is going on in this book? Watch out for her is the story of Sarah Goldman, who is a middle-aged mother who's been a stay-at-home mother for um, the entire six, almost seven years of her son Jacob's life. Um, And she is trying to find that piece of herself that she felt she lost. So she wants to return to her first love, which is photography. So she hires a babysitter for the summer named Holly Monroe, a 22-year-old medical school student. And at first, it seems like the perfect arrangement. Holly and Jacob adore each other. Sarah and Holly form a close, rare bond because they find something in each other that they're both missing. But then Sarah, who is a voyeur, sees something that she can't unsee and needs to leave Holly behind and take her family. And they move across the country to Toronto from Vancouver. And when they move into their new home, she finds hidden cameras inside. And she has to wonder, has she left
0: Holly far behind at all? I I got shivers. I got goosebumps just listening to you talk about it. Because I couldn't, I loved it because I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know what was going to happen until, I mean, you try guessing yourself into what's, where's this all going um, Samantha, if I could ask, what was the inspiration behind writing this book? It, it
1: actually is interesting because it changed from before mm-hmm. to during the pandemic. I started it before the pandemic. And with Woman on the Edge, my first book, that was a lightning bolt moment that just this idea hit me and I ran with it. Watch Out for Her was different because I, I had to really think how I follow up that book so that I'm learning, I'm growing, and and I don't disappoint anybody. And so I'm just giving my readers and myself the very best book that I can. And so I realized I wanted to write a story about mothers that we can't watch who's watching our children. I wanted to write about expectations, the expectations that others place on us. And it sometimes causes us to hide who we truly are because we don't want to disappoint anybody. And that leads to secrets and to lies. And then identity. I also wanted to write about a mother who was trying to find the piece of herself that she perhaps lost, left behind when she had a child, and and wants to try to have you know have it all—the proverbial have it all.
0: I so related to every single thing you just said, and I could so feel it coming through the book. Is this you, Samantha? Was this you with a first baby or a second baby? Was it? part of you that you sacrifice part of yourself or your life for the child, but also that there's this huge anxiety. I read somewhere you worried, you didn't know, you'd be checking, you know, is the baby breathing this? It feels like it's not rational anxiety. It's called irrational anxiety. But to me, it was totally rational because any mother, I think that especially with your first baby, oh my God, you're so terrified. You have no idea.
1: I will say it is not me. Okay. So Sarah is not me. I'll get to the, to the worry and anxiety part, but I'll start with the first one. Okay. Cause there is, there is some of that worry and anxiety. But with the first one, one of the things I wanted to explore was somebody losing a piece of themselves or, or not sure where they fit in because my life was the total opposite. This is before the pandemic. <laughs> things okay. change. Yes. So before the pandemic, I have two kids and it has always been my, my kids come first, hundred percent. They come first, but it has always been extremely important to me to forge my own path, my own identity, and to have my own career. I've wanted to be a writer since I was 10 years old. And that was equally as important to me as being the best mother I could. So when my daughter was, my daughter was my second child when she was born I opened my own freelance editing business. I became a freelance journalist, and over the course of you know, I guess ten years of her life or so, I wrote five books. So, or a few books, maybe three, maybe three books. Actually, sorry, I, I wrote a couple before that, <laughs> um, and it was extremely important to me to to create my own way. And I found a way to do it, and I felt like I had achieved balance. It was a juggle, but I could be there for both my kids. I could volunteer at the school, be on the parent council, be home for them. And then I could also have myself. And then the pandemic hit. And all of a sudden, my kids were home all the time. All of a sudden, everybody was home all the time. And I was the one with the flexible, flexible, quote unquote, job, mm. but I was on deadline. But m- my kids, like again, they came first, and so I would put everything to the side if they needed me. Um, and it was a time where everybody needed everybody because we were all f- falling apart. But mothers, we could not fall apart. So I had to find a way to shove writing in with being a mother, and I, I and I found myself identifying and connecting with Sarah in a way I had never ever anticipated. And then in terms of the anxiety, (laughs) I am definitely a a worried mother. I worry. It's it's part of my nature. I worry about everybody. For Sarah, the character, part of it comes from losing her father when she was 13 and losing uh, a child in a, a second trimester miscarriage I had a miscarriage, but in the um, first trimester. So I do I do think that that loss makes me worry about the kids maybe a little bit more because because I, I, I just I love them so much. I don't I don't want to lose them. And then I do I do wish that I could micromanage every bit of their lives, but I just like micromanaging in general. <laughs> it's control, but. I think because I've always had a place to put my fears, which is in writing, I can handle them and I don't uh, put them on other people. Whereas Sarah didn't have that. She has a passion, but she's not, she wasn't able to pursue it the way she wanted to.
0: I related to her personally because I gave it all up. I felt like I had to put it all into the baby twice. And, And at some point you're so depleted- and you you don't even recognize who you're looking at in the mirror anymore. So I applaud you. I applaud you for understanding that there has to be a balance. I think somewhere in my intellectual mind, I understood that. I just didn't know how to do it or I couldn't achieve it for a long, long, long time. And man, did it take its toll. Thank you for sharing. And so let's go back to, you've wanted to be a writer since you were 10 years old. Mm -hmm. I understand you actually submitted a manuscript to some place when you were 10 years old and it was rejected.
1: I did. I submitted it to Kids Can Press here in Toronto. Kind rejection, very kind rejection. (laughs) Uh, And it was my first of many, many rejections uh, that I've had over the years.
0: But you've been writing for like 17 years now, Samantha, right?
1: So I will be 49 at the end of May. And I wrote my first full-length novel when I was 29. So it is exactly 20 years.
0: Wow. And really, I mean, I'll say this as the uneducated public looking in, listening to this particular interview, Woman on the Edge, published in 2019, and now Watch Out for Her, published yesterday. Uh, April 26, 2022, those are the fan-creating, wild, buzzy, successful books. Talk to me about the journey and the bravery along the way of that journey, because that's a long time to not see yourself out there on the bestsellers list and in every bookstore window.
1: I'm in this really surreal moment the way I was with Woman on the Edge. Very emotional, very grateful, when you have a dream for 20 years and it comes true, it is very hard to believe. It's very out of body, almost. I'm I, I'm really, I'm just so
0: stunned
1: that any of this has happened. Um, and I, I've been writing, I've been writing as a teenager. I always wanted to be a writer. I just didn't really know you could sustain a career unless you were Ernest Hemingway or, you know, I just... I I had I was doing other things and and I then decided I'm going to go for it and I wrote my first novel at 29 and it was um, a rom com an edgy rom com and it was a rom com it's the, what I loved to read then I always read mysteries and thrillers but I was really into Chiclet. you know it was called it was chick back then before uh the new york times headline that chicklet is dead came out
0: <laughs> now <laughs> and, don't call it that anymore
1: yeah i mean I, and i love the term the term chicklet i think it's an, i think it's a fantastic actually really feminist term but that's a whole other topic um so i wrote uh two rom-coms edgy rom-coms and i signed with a new york city agent really quickly and i thought oh i'm going to be that overnight success I'm going to be like Carrie Bradshaw. I'm going to New York City and my Manolos and I, you know, will be drinking my Cosmo at a bookstore. Uh,
0: (laughs) I read this and I was going to ask you later on, or even let's ask it now, if you bought the Manolos now, have you bought them? I mean, you're not in New York City or Toronto, but I read this and I'm like, oh, I could so feel that that's how I would have reacted to like, I've done it.
1: It didn't, it didn't work out. I was, I was resoundingly rejected by all editors for those, for those two rom-coms. So my editor, my, sorry, my agents and I amicably, amicably um, parted ways because I was going to try to figure out what do I, what do I want to do? Nothing in me was going to give up. Nothing. I had a burning passion to have a traditional publishing deal, to see my book on bookshelves, and I wanted it more than I'd ever wanted anything in my whole life. So I wrote uh, two more books, darker women's fiction. So things started to get darker <laughs> and darker. And I, I couldn't find an agent. An agent didn't want to take them on. And that's fine. And I just kept going. And at that point, I was starting to publish pieces in you know newspapers and magazines and pitch those and started to get those published. And then one day... I was standing on a Toronto subway platform and I saw a woman uh, with a newborn standing close to the edge of, of the platform and she was fine and nothing happened to this woman and she was all good. It was me watching her projecting all my dark thoughts onto her and that was that lightning bolt moment and I wrote that book and I signed with my agent who had previously rejected three other novels that I had sent her. And I had finally gotten this absolutely incredible, fierce, dedicated, amazing agent. And we spent three and a half years revising the book.
0: I'm not sure I would have personally, not that I'm an author, the patience. Three and a half years of revisions is like, okay, enough already. I want to go to New York and see my book in a window in a bookstore, but you're embracing that so could you talk to us a little bit about that cuz that's the journey that's the process that i have trouble even thinking about i think i'm just too impatient
1: i think that's that's a learning process for sure that's that's definitely it's like you know publishing it can be a really brutal long soul crushing <laughs> business <laughs> <laughs> so you learn to develop this very thick skin and a lot of patience I'm on hiatus now, but I'm a freelance editor for manuscripts. And so because I edited other people and I edited their work, I I may have a different perspective of the editing process. And I don't, my my ego is not not in it. I'm a very sensitive person outside of my career writing. Hmm. But with writing, I'm not, um, I I can be pretty tough. I can be pretty tough and I can take it. But it was my agents, I think, who made me much more, patient, because she said to me at the very beginning, whether it's your first book or your seventh, it never gets easier. And I thought, okay, I can't rush this. I would love for this to have happened when I was 25, 30, 35, 40, and not almost 45 or 46 as I was in 49, just simply energy-wise. But you can't rush the process. Everyone has their own path and their own journey. And there are so many lessons in that journey. This was the journey, as woo-woo as this sounds, I was meant to be on, I think. I am a masochist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, we're coming back to that statement.
1: <laughs> well, I was going to say, I love to be torn apart in my work before, before. I, I will say, I mean, nobody wants to read a bad, a bad review, but Before my work is published, before my work is out there, before that final stage, I want to know every single thing I can do to make it better because my ultimate goal is to produce the book that I can be most proud of and to know that I've given my entire
0: heart and soul to. I've learned so much just just listening to you. Yes, no, it's not woo-woo. Yes, you're on the journey you're meant to be on, but you... You're embracing it rather than fighting it, and rather than resenting it. You're getting down and you're doing it. And and look at look at how it's going. I understand, Samantha, that you're that your favorite time of day to write is somewhere around four or five in the morning. When it's dark, the house is quiet, and it's all your own. Time, just you and your words, and maybe some like head banging, crazy hard <laughs> drum beat type of music. Let's, let's talk about it. first of all the music. I want to, I want to kind of understand why. What does that do for you?
1: So first, your research is
0: f- phenomenal. Oh, good. I'm glad.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, your your research is amazing. Um, I am a Gen X '90s girl, and. I don't know if it's nostalgia because of, you know, being midlife. I don't know. No, I've, I've always loved the 90s alternative grunge and hip hop. I love all different kinds of music. I like pop and I like, I like the music that's current now, but that music speaks to my soul. You know, ugh, Chris Cornell, singers like, like Chris Cornell, you know, rest in peace. Um, the lyrics that raspy, gravelly, stick-a-knife-in-your-gut voice. Yeah. It speaks to me. It resonates with me. It fuels my creativity. It sparks my imagination. And I think because I write thrillers, I have to get into a, a dark, twisted headspace. And again, because I personally am a positive, happy, upbeat person, I have to change my mindset in order to get into my characters' headspaces. And I find that music
0: really takes me there. There's something about music. There really is. You find the stuff that speaks to your soul, as you've just said, and that helps, you, helps transport you. You're also a Gemini, so I understand that that, that transition from very positive person to very dark Not negative, but dark, twisted. Somebody described her work as, her books are 50 shades of messed up. And I'm like, I think that's correct, based on my understanding. But you can flip, because the Gemini has the double-sided, if you will, personality type of two faces. The positive and then the kind of dark.
1: Yeah, I would say definitely not, yeah, not negative. I always see the the world with hope rather than uh, sorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely, m- m- my mind does go to twisted, dark, devious places. I love reading twisted, dark, devious things. I like uh, complicated people, and and um, I have a, a wicked tongue. I have to say, like I have, um, you know, I, I'm careful with my language uh, when I'm in public. But I can definitely, yeah, I have. Uh, choice words, (laughs) I can swear very easily. I do have those, those, those two sides to me that what I write and who I am are quite, are quite different.
0: I had also read that your best ideas or the evolution of your characters or the storyline come to you when you're not trying So are there places in your world, I don't know if it's a walk, if it's a run, if it's a subway train, if it's a whatever, are there places where you kind of zone out, but yet somewhere it's still brewing and processing in your soul? Everywhere,
1: actually. So when I take walks with my rescue dog, Jasper, I make sure my voice recorder is on if I have an idea. I find I love like walks and I love, you know, fresh air and I love the sunshine Um, and I love hiking and all those things. So I find once I leave my house and I leave my desk, I can clear my mind. Mm -hmm. So for sure that, but it's any time I'm actually away from my desk, something will suddenly hit me reading a book by another author. I read voraciously. So reading books by other people. Not, you know, I'm not taking their ideas, something that will just spark, it'll just spark what I've been looking for, what I've been missing. And, you know, because I can sit there for hours and I can sit there, you know, clutching my head, trying to think of my way forward, you know, in a plot or with a character. But it's when I stop thinking that it actually happens. It's like
0: looking for love. That's a great analogy. This is the stuff that I teach with my creative problem-solving work is like, why are we making Play-Doh figures and why are we building Lego and why are we going on a scavenger hunt? Is I got to take your mind completely away and then bring it back because you'd be amazed at how that journey brings forward the best work. It does. I was going to say there's guilt with that though. Oh, always. Even
1: for me, even though I know the process works, I feel guilty every time I leave my desk.
0: Yeah, it's like, I should be working, but you've got to trust the subconscious and your brain that it is, in fact, working better than if you were sitting ripping your hair out in front of your computer screen trying to come up with it, come up with it. So I'm going to ask about, I have so many things here. I'm going to ask about the fact that you can't draw, but you wish you could, (laughs) and then I ask about the fact that you wanted to be a dancer so much you dreamt of going to Juilliard, but maybe not quite tall enough to do that so we just go down those two potential I wish I was an artist I wish I was a dancer paths tell me a little bit about that
1: I am the worst like visual artist you will ever see although photography because of Sarah Goldman because of watch out for her I have actually developed a passion for photography and how great is that so great and Instagram too Instagram really makes you step up your photography
0: game it does yes <laughs>
1: So that's been wonderful. But I, I can't draw. And many of my family members are very talented artists that way. And there are authors who can draw and paint and sketch and write. And to me, anybody who equally has talents in those different arenas makes my jaw drop. I don't know, how, how are you born? With that many talents, it's it's amazing to me. I I can't even draw a stick figure. I mean, honestly, it looks I don't even know. It looks like a dog when it's supposed to be a person. And it's just <laughs> But you've got photography
0: now. So yes. that's so fantastic. And so what a beautiful outcome in terms of having Sarah Goldman as your character that's kind of bonded an opportunity for you to pursue some photography. That's great. What about dance though? Obviously you were interested in that as a younger person.
1: Yeah. So I was a competitive jazz dancer for a long time and, and I loved it and it, along with writing it, it fed my, my spirit. There were two reasons I stopped dancing. Uh, one, I was, I was told very clearly that I would probably not make it as a professional dancer because, um, you know, I, I didn't grow past five feet tall. Um, and while there are smaller dancers, I think they're few and far between. Um, so that was, that was a kick, a kick to the, kick to the gut. Um, cause there was nothing I could do to change that. You know, with writing, you can learn, you can grow, you can do all these things, but you can't, you can't change your height and you can't change your body. So
0: that's a given. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that was, that was, that was, that was tough, but The other reason that I stopped was I started developing quite severe stage fright and doing solo performances. Um, It's such a different thing than writing while there's stage fright. I'm not, I'm using my words. And again, I'm not using my body. And and, um, when you use your words, you can erase them. You can delete them. But when you're dancing, it's, it's that one moment, it's that one moment Mm -hmm. you've got to give it your all. And that's, it's also a lot of pressure and, so I, I I quit. I quit. And it was the last time I gave up on something that I really wanted. And
0: mm-hmm. the last
1: time I gave up on something um,
0: because it scared me. But you've never given up on writing? Never. I understand you have a friend who's a detective constable who put you in a cell and treated you as a suspect and gave you the inside experience of what it was like perhaps to be arrested and thrown in a, in a cell. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, I take it that that was obviously more for a woman on the edge than watch out for her, but in general, just to have that experience as you move forward with your writing.
1: So, yeah, so I have a friend who's a detective constable with the Toronto police and you know, when, when you're writing a thriller, if you're writing anything that involves crime or, you know, police or or whatever it is, you want to make sure that you're you're checking with the experts. You want to make sure to do your due diligence as best as you can. And I find experts are very, very uh, giving and generous with their time. So my friend is a detective constable, answered a ton of questions at, uh, for a woman on the edge and for watching mm-hmm. for her actually as well. Uh, but for woman on the edge, he said, do you want to be a suspect for a day? Like, do you want to come down and I'll take you through the the station and I'll show you everything? And I was like, yes, yes, let's do it. Oh, that sounded amazing to me. So he took me down and he did it all. Like I met him in the Sallyport, which is the garage where the police cars come in with the, the suspects. And he, so he, he didn't, he didn't handcuff me or anything, but he, but he took me through there up through the elevators through the fingerprinting room the interrogation room i got to see the evidence room wow really interesting stuff I can't in there imma-
0: i can't imagine <laughs> i mean i'm just i'm just kind of in my mind picturing coming in through that the police entrance like handcuffed or not you you you're getting the full on experience here
1: it was exciting and terrifying at the same time i almost i want to take my kids yeah to do this and especially when he put me in the holding cell. So he, he said, you know, do you want to see what it's like to be locked in a holding cell? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. I totally forgot that I'm claustrophobic. I had no, because I had no ex- idea what the experience was going to be like. So you go in, he clangs the door shut. And it's exactly like you see on TV. I mean, the white washed walls, the stainless steel, everything nailed to the floor, and and the, the walls just kept getting smaller and smaller for the 30 seconds I could handle being in there. And I I banged on the door, begging him to let me out. It was really disconcerting and and yeah, it was it was really scary.
0: But having that personal experience must give you such incredible insight and perspective for the characters that you're developing in the works you're doing with these these thrillers. You felt it yourself. You've experienced it yourself, so you can bring to your readers a perspective which is incredible.
1: It's it's very method, right? I think that's what they say about acting when you put when you put yourself. I, I guess I'm a method a method writer in a lot of in a lot of ways.
0: I was going to ask you about your your uh, beach babes, beach babes, oh. the women that get together or did or do and I don't know about covid so I, this is where I'm going with this every january um getting together at a beach house in california seven of you yes okay tell us about yeah. that because I'd love to hear about what this is how this fuels your soul for writing who these women are and 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 then let's move towards what happened during covid that maybe you couldn't couldn't do that anymore
1: this, it, it makes me emotional because I'm I saw that I hit so much
0: there. I hope I hope I'm not going somewhere <laughs> no, in uncharted I, territory.
1: No, 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 no. I love them so much. I love them so much. I I, uh, uh, I I feel for so deeply for all of them, and I'm happy happy to talk about them. Uh, just thinking about
0: them, I miss them.
1: Uh, they seven women, or, or six, and me. I'm six and seven.
0: you, so seven altogether. Six <laughs> and
1: me, yeah, six and me. They're all based in the US. I'm the only Canadian. And it is uh, Meredith Shore, a rom com author whose uh, traditionally published debut is coming out June 7th, uh, called As Seen on TV. It's fantastic. Eileen Googe, superstar, New York Times bestselling author, um, who has sold, I think, six million copies of her books and was my idol before I met her. I still like to this day, I can't believe she's, you know, rubbed my feet while we're in pajamas. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Josie Brown, also, you know, uh, uh, an incredibly prolific, absolutely amazing author with so many books out. I can't even um, keep track anymore. Julie Valerie, who's written written satirical, humorous women's fiction. She has uh, two books out. Jen Tucker, who has these amazingly hilarious uh, memoirs out, or memoirs, sorry, I would say non-fic, non-fic. Francine LaSala, who is an editor and author extraordinaire. Um, Did I get everyone? I feel like I'm missing something.
0: I wasn't counting. I'm just amazed by all these names. Yeah, I have to count because if I don't, so Meredith,
1: Julie, Josie, Eileen, Francine, and Jen. So um, we met online about 10 years ago I can't believe it's 10 10 years and after you know a little while of getting to know each other and we had met in person uh, a few of us or many of us in New York City previously and then Eileen said every January I go to a beach house in Santa Cruz California where she's from originally she lives in New York now Uh, she's married to Sandy Kenyon that absolutely amazing uh, entertainment reporter so she goes every January to write for a month. And she said, why don't you all come for a week? And I had really little kids. I think my daughter must have been only three, maybe, the first time we went. And, and we had never spent time together overnight. We really, truly had only met online. And it was, and, and we did it for the next eight years. And it was the highlight of our year for all of us, we are, we are family. We are sisters. Uh, We are there for each other. It just, it just works. It's just one of those amazing magical connections that I wish everybody could experience in their lives because there's nothing like it. Um, But unfortunately for the last, I haven't seen them for over two years, which is why I get emotional because, you know, yeah, with my release and, all of the all of these things that are happening, I want to see them in person. I just want to hug them.
0: Of course, and so maybe next year, yeah. maybe January twenty twenty three, if if we can all stay positive and and continue to test negative, maybe it can happen again.
1: And well, in at the end of May, I'm supposed to be going to Thriller Fest in New York City, and I will be able to see uh, a few of them in New York City.
0: What is Thriller Fest?
1: Oh, oh my gosh, so Kimberly Howe is a Toronto-based author who is the executive director who created along with other people, I think I don't want to get it wrong, ThrillerFest, one of the biggest thriller conferences in the world, held every year in New York City wow. in late May and early June where thriller authors and every, you know, industry professionals and readers gather for Pitch opportunities, craft opportunities, and panels. I'm on. A, I'm going to be speaking on a panel, and it is a, a four or five day conference of devious glory. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I see your eyes lighting up with the word "devious." It sounds well. Human contact, because if this is an every year thing again, if this has been on hiatus for a couple of years. Obviously,
1: yes, yeah. Last year, at least, it was on hiatus. I can't even remember. When the last time like anybody saw anybody or when, you know. It's
0: It's like we've all been just kind of wiped clean and we're starting over. I totally understand. Wow. So that's really exciting. When is Thriller Fest? Like dates just generally. You said end of May.
1: Uh, May 31st to June 4th. Fantastic.
0: What a beautiful time to be in New York too and catch up and Mm -hmm. be so inspired. So Samantha, can I ask about what is next? Do you just wait and it'll hit you, maybe? Or I, I
1: am working on my next book. I I am like many writers, compelled to write. It is it is a compulsion. It, it's like breathing for me. I don't know what I would do with myself if I weren't uh, writing or thinking about a new a new book. And that's honestly one of the most exciting times because it for a while only belongs to the writer. It only belongs to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So. I have been working on an outline from an next uh, that is coming together and nailing, nailing it down and getting, um, you know, moving forward with and just trying to get some, some jigsaw pieces into place. But the gist of it is it's a story about women who are seeking something different than the lives they currently have mm. and all the risks and dangers that come with that.
0: Mm in your mind and i don't i don't know how many revisions and god bless you that i i think you're right having been an editor has perhaps taught you the love of the revision process the patience and the love when do you think it might rear its head in the world of being able to be available to the big world out here oh that's such a good that's
1: such a good difficult question you know I- I, I wouldn't want to give a specific date only yeah. because I could never have foreseen the pandemic. I, it, yeah, it wasn't supposed to be, you know, two years for my for my next. I didn't mean to make my re- readers wait so long. <laughs> you know, I know that, the people were so kind and the, the beautiful messages I've received of people wanting to read it. And oh my gosh, when when I you know when, when I read books and I love them, I too say to the author, "There's an author, May Cobb." May Cobb, I just want to live in her brain and I just want to gobble her up whole. May Cobb writes uh, The Hunting Wives and My Summer Darlings. And I swear, I finished My Summer Darlings and I messaged her and I was like, I'll pay you. I'll pay you to write me another <laughs> book right now. So I so I understand and I so appreciate that people want more. I will hope that it is not, a, not another two years. That's what I would say. I would hope it's not two years from the time.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely fair. And yet there's something beautiful for us as the readers to have to wait for it.
1: I, I, I hope so.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. The um, Samantha, can we talk about brave? Cause we're, we're here. We're breaking brave. What, what has bravery looked like, felt like for you?
1: Brave for me is taking risks to get what I want. Um, I don't take physical risks. I hate roller coasters. I don't like running down the stairs too quickly. That part of Sarah, when she's worried about Jacob running down the stairs too fast, that that is me. I have, I have a fear of falling. I don't, I don't know where it comes from. I can't remember, you know, careening down a flight of stairs. Oh, interesting. I actually, I saved my brother's life when he was about three years old from falling down the stairs. Was he about... I caught him. It just occurred to me there that actually just occurred to me. I wonder if that's why I have a fear of falling.
0: <laughs> was he on the stairs and you saved his life? Yes, yes. There you are.
1: That's yes. it right there. Yeah, he was on the stairs and he was gonna. He was. He was. He was careening down and I, I. I stopped him with my body or I grabbed him. Something like that. I was only five, I think, at the time. Or
0: there's Jacob and some and and Sarah being afraid. He's yeah. I just had a therapeutic breakthrough. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Let's then go back to, so you will do, you will take risks when it comes to getting what you want. Yeah.
1: I'm, I've always been a rebel. I've always felt that I perhaps had a different path than other people. And I've always felt that that is okay. Uh, this is my life to live. And as long as I'm doing it in, in, you know, the, not, I'm not hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. As in, you know, I don't want to hurt anyone. I just very much want to be true to myself in every step that I take. So every career choice, every place I live, uh, even what I choose to watch, what I choose to read, I won't apologize for loving what I love. Um, that's me. That's me. So I do that, uh, I think, with bravery, and then it—it it was the same with writing. I knew I was getting into something that wasn't going to be very financially stable, uh, because even though international bestseller, I mean, it's—it's it's amazing, but it's not quite the millions of dollars that I. Yeah. <laughs>
0: things I might have. As your publisher said, it never gets easier. So you knew you were heading into that as well.
1: Yes, my agent. Excuse me. My agent. Yeah, I knew it was going to be unstable. I knew it might be fleeting. I knew it was going to hurt. Mm. But I did it anyway. And it has hurt. Mm. And it has hurt Um, many times. Over and over and over again. And then I just, I I, uh, roll up my sleeves and I take a breath and onward.
0: It's a lot of people would, as you said, have a thinner skin, take it personally, throw down the towel and say, no, I just can't. I can't. I've had too much rejection. I, I can't keep going.
1: I was going to add to that. Yes. I think if you have a lot of people behind you who believe in you, mm. it makes it a lot easier. I grew up with a very supportive family who love me. And uh, well, they may not always understand me. They fully accept me. I have a huge community of friends and authors and readers, and there is just so much support behind me. So I think when people are afraid to take those risks and they're afraid to fail, perhaps they need more support behind
0: them. Mm. I've asked a lot of guests that question and that answer specifically around support and caring and love and feeling like folks have got your back. It hasn't come up before, Samantha, so thank you. Because, yes, it makes it easier to step off the cliff, as a, as just a way of saying it, if you feel like there's people there to, to applaud you, support you, catch you if you fall. What a lovely behavior you're setting for your kids in terms of living their best life, following their dreams. I've got something up on my wall around when you took your children to the bookstore for the very first time to see that Woman on the Edge was there, that anything is possible. You're teaching them that. How did that feel for you when you had your kids? How old were your kids when you when you took them for to see Woman on the Edge when it was in a bookstore?
1: So I guess almost nine and, and almost almost 12, oh. I guess it was around, because it was so close to the pandemic. was yeah. both there, almost yeah. nine, almost 12. Well, it's, my kids, I mean, they're so proud of me. But kids, you know, kids only really understand the lessons that we give them as parents
0: later. It, that's true. At nine and right. 11 or nine and 12, yeah. it's making an impression, but in such a deep way that will pay off. And 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 flourish later on. But at that age, you, you're not on. seeing, they haven't lived enough life to understand the real value of what they're experiencing, I don't think.
1: Yeah, and they're so over me. Like, they're just so, you know, I am not cool to them <laughs> at all. You know, to other people, it's like, you know, I'm, like, it's amazing. Like, I'm really proud of you. They're proud. They're kind of like... Uh, that, that's great. That's great, Mom. Now, here's, here's what I want to tell you, you know, about me. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> shut up about you and your books.
1: Yeah, shut, up, shut up about you and your books. <laughs> so I, I love, I, I, with my kids, that's, that's really all I want them to know is that you get one life to live. You get one life. It's not all going to be roses and rainbows. Uh, it is really important to fail. Really important to fail. It's really hard, especially when you're a kid to fail. And but it's really important to fail, and it's okay. It is really important to keep going. It is important to find your own passion, not what anybody else thinks you should do. Be true to yourself completely. You be true to yourself, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And know like that. That I love them. Mm. I love them. In Every way for for who they are and and whatever they wish to pursue, whatever path they take, because life to me is about passion and happiness, mm-hmm. and I I I that's that's what I want for my kids to be as, as as you know passionate about their lives and as and as happy as possible. But of course, learn that resilience and strength and the coping mechanisms, which the pandemic, you know, they they had to learn it, but. The experience of taking my kids and and showing them my book is something I will, I will carry with me and treasure for the
0: rest of my life. Yeah. How can we support you? How can we support what you do? How can we support Watch Out for Her as well as Woman on the Edge? How can we reach you, follow you? How can we grow your fan base and support you?
1: Thank you. So first, I would say, uh, please uh, follow me on social media. So Twitter, Twitter, Twitter and Instagram at S Bailey Books. Um, Facebook is Samantha Bailey Author. I have a new beautifully designed website, professionally designed, uh, which went live, I think. Today, I haven't had a chance to announce it yet, but that's samanthambailey.com, where I list all my events and all the things that are going on with me. I love to connect with my readers. I um, love the comments and the messages, and I I do try to get back to people as quickly, as quickly as I can. Um, And in terms of supporting me, I would say (laughs) what all authors want is for people to read our books, to read our books. Um, while we want you to love our books, that's your own subjective experience. And mm-hmm. that's something I can't control it. Mm-hmm. I can't, I just can't. So it now belongs to my readers and and I hope you love my work and see it, see what I wanted you to see in it. But really, uh, we want you to read our work, uh, you know, from... Purchase it from independent bookstores, from other bookstores, from wherever books are sold. Borrow it from the library. Um, it's a hard career. We have a hard career as writers. Uh, we do our best um, to make a living at it, and so it is always helpful to uh, have people um, help help us do that.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, I hope you'll come back whenever you're ready to chat more about whatever you're working on next or releasing next, or just talk to me about how your next time in California at the beach house with the six other American writers unfolded. Cause that just sounds like a movie script right there.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This has been absolutely wonderful. I've enjoyed every second of it.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at Marilyn That's it for today. See you next time.